Hi, I'm Zach Mander. And I'm Dom Fay. And welcome to So What, a show from Origin that questions everything you thought you knew about energy and explores the solutions that exist today. So, Zach, I don't know if you've seen the movie Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Is this relevant? Yeah. Oh, it's just that last time we had to cut 20 minutes of you reviewing the movie Flubber. But you cut my flubber bit. Yeah. It's just you got so passionate and um, we, we thought the swearing might have been going a bit too far. Well, this one's more relevant, I promise. It would be hard to be less relevant. Well, Free Guy is the one where Ryan Reynolds plays a background character in a computer game or an NPC, non-playable character. Basically, the plot of the movie is that he doesn't just stay in the background. He becomes aware of what's going on in the game and starts playing like a main character instead. I take it back. I think your Flubber review was more relevant. How, how does this link to energy? I'm getting there. In the movie, Reynolds' character, called Guy, just wants to help people. And so he uses his new knowledge to make society better. But then he learns that he's just a bit of code designed for a specific purpose in the game. I'm still not following. Well, you see, the universe Guy lives in uses an advanced artificial intelligence system to make the game great for players. But Guy, he doesn't behave the way he's supposed to. He no longer acts like an NPC, but instead he starts to think and feel for himself. Anytime anyone mentions artificial intelligence, I think of robots taking over the world. But, you know, that's a bad thing. Well, in the same way that Guy starts to understand his universe, our energy grid increasingly needs to adopt new technologies and become smart, because there are so many more resources that need to be controlled in our renewable energy future. This definitely wasn't the movie comparison that it could have been. I'm thinking that you probably watched Free Guy last night. I did watch Free Guy last night, and you would have known that if you'd accepted my invitation to movie night. I didn't get your invitation. Well, it said seen by Zach. Did it? Yes. Okay. Well, I need to turn off red receipts. What I did learn from the movie, though, was that Guy's universe, like so many industries now, is being controlled by data. Whether it's gaming, shopping, cars, or even energy, new technology is disrupting the way we do things, and it's completely changing the way our whole electricity system operates. So this is this is the monitoring and support centre, and um, you can see we've got quite a few screens up here that basically shows us um, some of the information on the units that's currently online, um, some of the units that might be dispatched during the rest of the day, as well as some of the market conditions. Um, so that we can understand what's actually going on there and what we might expect on that next phone call from trading. This is Karen Clark. Karen manages the monitoring and support centre and it's basically her job to orchestrate the output from all the power plants in Origin's network. And the MSC, as it's called, it's basically like NASA's control centre. It's a room with screens everywhere. That sounds cool. You should see if you can host one of your famous movie nights there. Well, that's a good idea. I might ask Karen if we can borrow it one night. No flubber, though. Oh, don't worry then. Anyway, in the MSC, each screen has data on different aspects of each plant and the overall grid. Which gives us um, the information about what's actually happening on, on generation around the, the NEM, which is the National Electricity Market. And that also tells us how much wind generation is um, out there, how much renewables, what the other power stations are doing. When the NEM needs more energy, the engineers at the MSC will turn on more gas turbines or ramp up the output from pumped hydro to make sure there's enough. And when there's too much solar or wind during the day, they'll scale back other forms of generation. The point is that the grid needs to use energy as it's fed into the network. So you don't want too much and you don't want too little. 
And when there's a problem with one of the plants, the MSC will alert the team on the ground to go and check it out. Yeah, so we do, we do also have our um, alarm sequence display up there. So that's where we're monitoring alarms from all the power stations that we look after here um, from the different sites. So those um, give us an indication of, of how the units are running and if there's anything that we need to flag with site or respond to um, from an alarm perspective. Right, so the MSC is kind of like the brains of the operation for a lot of Origins Network. Exactly, and just like our brains, the team there is processing a huge amount of data. There are over three trillion data points and that is growing um, pretty much exponentially every day with every time that we run a unit, we collect more and more data points. More than three trillion? I feel like you have to have a pretty big brain to be able to process that much data. Is this leading to a joke about me having an oversized head? We did measure it once. It is above average. It was half a centimetre above average. Technically larger than average. Well, thankfully, the tech behind this is a bit smarter than my completely normal-sized head. And this is where machine learning and AI come in. Because using all of that data, the MSC can look for patterns to tell whether a gas or pumped hydro plant is operating like it should. We actually use that data points to be able to um, have a look that our units are actually running well. Um, and we can compare, using that information, we can actually compare the performance of the units and how they are running um, with the expected performance of the units. So that actually assists us in the monitoring and support center to be able to um, compare that data and understand whether there are any issues to be flagged to our engineering and site teams for early investigation and detection of any problems with the units. What does unit mean? Like a gym junkie? Uh, not quite. Karen actually means this. So when I'm, when I'm saying a unit, I mean either a gas turbine or um, we also have our pumped hydro um, generators and we also have our Iranian coal-fired um, units. So even though we don't dispatch um, our coal-fired power station, we still have um, data collection from those units. So we assist with um, fault finding and fault identification on those units as well from the monitoring and sports centre. So all of this data, those three trillion data points generated from all the units, is being used to make the network more reliable. But it turns out that this is a broader trend across the whole energy sector. Because just like other industries, the energy network is getting smart. Machine learning and AI are now being used to predict and manage the changes across the network. And that has the potential to unlock huge possibilities. So you have to forecast renewable energy production. You also have to forecast the energy consumption so that you can then plan better the, the production and consumption schedules and so on. This is Christoph Bergmeier. And Christoph is a senior lecturer in the Department of Data Science and AI at Monash University. And it turns out that he's the guy you talk to if you want to know specifically about forecasting. I've heard of weather forecasting, economic forecasting. There was a time you tried to predict the future of fashion. Well, it's none of those. And I'll have you know for the record that corduroy pants did eventually come back in. Yeah, that was just chance, though. I'm still going to claim it. When I talk to people and I say I do forecasting, usually they would say, oh, so you do weather forecasting. That's probably one area where we 
come across forecasting. Others say, oh, so can you predict the stock market and, and we are all rich? Uh, we are going to be all rich at some point. So um, these are both examples of forecasting, but um, interestingly enough, it's not the forecasting that I would usually do. Okay, so Christoph is not a weatherman. So what can he predict? He's using data science to forecast renewable energy. I've heard a lot of people talk about data science and I've always thought it was just a fancy way of describing that guy at work who was really good at Excel. Well, I thought so too, but apparently there's a little bit more to it. You know, there are these jokes that data science, that statistics on a Mac, or a data scientist is a statistician that lives in San Francisco. Uh, well, speaking more seriously, so we have big amounts of data and now if you want to analyze those, on the one hand, you need to be really good at statistics, but on the other hand, you also need to be able to really handle this, these data so that you really need to also have a, a quite solid computer science knowledge. And that's what a data scientist does. So it's this mix of statistics, computer science, and domain knowledge uh, that you need to bring together. Variability is actually one of the big problems that needs to be solved as we transition to renewables. Our energy grid used to be centralised with a handful of large power plants, but now we've got millions of homes with rooftop solar and a lot of renewable generation scattered all over the country. The main problem that we try to solve is that traditionally we had energy demand uh, and then we would just produce to meet that demand. And if you use fossil fuels, for example, then that's very easy. You just uh, you need more energy. You just throw more coal into the oven and you burn more coal um, and you produce more energy. But now with the renewable energy, um, it's much more decentralized. So energy is produced. Um, rooftop solar energy is produced uh, at well, many different places. And also you cannot really control how you produce that energy because uh, it depends on if sun shines a lot, if there's lots of wind, and that uh, determines how much you produce. So even with all of that renewable infrastructure, we still need to figure out how to deal with the significant fluctuations that can happen when there's clouds and rain in one part of the country and the wind stops blowing in another. So now you have a, a way more complex problem to solve because you're producing energy um, much more unreliable and it's much more decentralized so this control problem of how to meet demand and in which way it's much more complicated and that's now where we use these smart technologies to to make the grid smarter in that sense to to have this control um, implemented and part of what makes this so complicated is that demand side because regardless of what's happening in the world people still want to use power if the weather is cold, everyone turns on the heating. And if it's a hot day outside, we've all got the aircon blasting. Oh, come on, Dom. Surely you've got fans. Oh, well, I mean, I do my best, but I don't know about that. I mean, if people wanted to call themselves fans of mine, I certainly wouldn't stop them. But I'd never want to assume that they might be my fans. No, I meant ceiling fans. Ah, yes, I, I do have ceiling fans. But even they need power. On the demand side, people still want to use electricity and re reliability is defined by, well, basically your ability to supply power whenever you want to supply it. This is Gregor Verbich, the director of the Centre for Future Energy Networks at the University of Sydney. We heard from him in the first episode. 
If you want to guarantee reliable supply, you have to manage this variable supply coming from renewable energy sources um, in a way that you instantaneously match demand and supply, because that's a fundamental requirement of any electricity grid. So you have to instantaneously balance supply with demand. In the olden days, that was easy because the supply was dispatchable, so you can ramp it up, turn it down however you want it. The demand side was predictable. Um, and so managing that supply and demand was easy. Now, today, it's becoming much, much more challenging because, again, the, on the supply side, you have these variable renewables. On the demand side, you have active active uh, demand that like can change throughout the day depending on the prevailing conditions. So balancing all that requires actually quite a bit of smartness, uh, computing, um, optimization, data-driven decision-making. So that essentially is the essence of, of smart grid. And for people like Karen, the switch to renewables is actually making life busier. Because with new renewables coming online, the team at the MSC is finding they need to respond more frequently to changing events. Because remember, when heavy clouds roll over a solar farm or the wind dies down, the network could quickly lose a significant amount of generation. So the more renewables in the system, the more frequently these variations occur. We can definitely see some some of those changes in the market and the time periods that we we are really busy. Um, I think winter has been um, a new really busy time for us, um, whereas previously we've seen a lot of um, busy periods during summer. Um, now we also have some additional solar generation through summer, so the intensity is much higher. And we actually, um, yeah, so, so things have changed a little bit. I think the MSC desk can see periods where it's really busy and then other times when it's, when it's not so busy. Um, but it's always a, a challenge, I suppose, every day and you never know what the day will bring exactly um, and what you need to deal with and it keeps um, the people on their toes, I think, and, and um, keeps, keeps life interesting. The transition in front of us is enormous. AEMO, the Australian energy market operator, says we need billions of dollars in new infrastructure as we move towards net zero. And all of that new infrastructure is going to generate data, and a lot of it. In fact, you could argue that one of the biggest complexities in the energy transition will be around processing and analysing all of this information. We're going to need some really smart solutions and some really smart people helping to run the show. Maybe, for example, we could hire an absent-minded professor who could create some kind of green goo that takes on a life of its own. Dom, if you make one more flubber reference, I'm quitting the podcast. I'm sure people are loving them, but fine. Let's go back to Gregor. He says that while collecting data on all this new technology is easy, analysing it and making that data useful is not. Which is where artificial intelligence could be vital to unlocking the grid of the future. We have now this ability to collect like huge amounts of data um, and... Using the data, we can really um, infer useful information which using the existing technology or the technology of the past before this emergence of artificial intelligence was really difficult or even impossible. So now the challenge is now to process these huge amounts of data um, and still get some useful information out of that. In the past, that was simply not possible. But now artificial intelligence opens up doors for using that data in really 
useful ways to inform, essentially to inform our decision making. I mean, this is up to us how we want to design those um, artificial intelligent, like let's call them energy or system management systems. Um, it's up to us to, de to design them in a way that achieve all the objectives we want to achieve. And ideally that should be do something good for the network or the system. So make sure that um, electric power system works as it should. And on the other hand, also um, satisfy the requirements of the end user. So minimize electricity bill, maximize comfort, um, all of that. And that's essentially the research challenge we are facing, facing at the moment. So to figure out how to use that artificial intelligence technology in a way that, well, we do what they, it does what we want, we want it to do. I feel like I broadly understand data science now, but what do we mean when we talk about artificial intelligence? I, I feel like it's becoming a bit of a buzzword, like every industry seems to be using AI. You know, most of my understanding of AI comes from the Terminator, but I have been assured on this instance that this process involves no killing machines sent from the future, which is probably good news for all of us. Uh, instead, we're really talking about technology that can use all of that data to make decisions on how the network operates to figure out where energy is needed and where that power needs to come from. It's not called Skynet, is it? Uh, let me check. No, it's not. So artificial intelligence is a technology that can do things that otherwise humans would do. So, for example, if you, uh, you have um, like rooftop solar, home battery, electric vehicle, flexible devices, and a home energy management system that tries to figure out what's the best, how to best operate those devices so that you minimize um, the energy cost for the user and possibly maximize comfort while at the same time offer services uh, to the grid. Now, um, you can do this. I mean, you can you can you can think of a, like a really like um, tech savvy, intelligent customer who can do this by himself. But that's not the way it should be done. Most people are not like that. So that's why you need an intelligent device that will do that on their behalf. Okay, that makes sense. But why do we have to use AI at all? We've been rolling solar out for years, and most people haven't had to use AI to make it happen. So, what does AI bring to the table in the energy transition? Well, it turns out that we could transition to renewables without the use of AI, but what AI offers is an ability to unlock new possibilities in our energy network. For example, the smart charging of electric cars. What's smart charging? Like double checking the outlet when you plug in your phone before you go to sleep at night so it actually charges instead of waking up and thinking it's charged and then looking at it and, oh no, you're on 10% and you have to spend the whole day with this? Oh, I hate when that happens. Is that why your phone's always dead when I call you to invite you to movie night? Yeah, 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 that's what's happening in that situation. Oh, I'll have to give you more notice next time. Good to know. Well, look, when I do get an EV one day, I'm sure I won't forget to charge it every night. Well, actually, Zach, that's the problem. Because in the future, most of us are going to own electric cars. And when we come home at night, all of those cars are going to need to be plugged in at the same time. This is going to put a pretty big strain on the energy network. And AI could actually help us solve that by figuring out when to charge cars based on how people drive and when we're likely to have excess power that needs to be soaked up. We can decarbonize the grid um, 
possibly even without AI, but to seize all the opportunities that exist um, or are um, available because of all those new technologies, like the like significant opportunities sitting behind the meter in people's homes. So all those flexible devices can really do something really good for the network. And probably, again, the most easy to understand example is electric vehicles and rooftop solar. I just wanted to remind everyone that behind the meter assets are things like your rooftop solar, your home battery, even your heating or cooling system. They sit in your home behind the meter, and one day all of these appliances could be visible to the NEM. So you generate all all that electricity in the middle of the day. You don't know what to do with it at the moment. Like This is already a huge problem in many parts of the, the country. But on the other hand, you have this huge flexible load. Like electric cars, most cars today should only be charged maybe once a week. If you do daily commutes of about maybe up to 50 kilometers, you only charge this car once a week. And that's fine. So what it means is that you don't really have to charge the car as soon as you park it in your garage. You can delay the charging. And that creates a huge flexible load that can be used to adjust to match the variable the, uh, so very, very variable supply coming from the generation side. And doing all that without artificial intelligence so to coordinate these millions of devices with private objectives, uh, completely autonomous, in a way that you achieve something useful without artificial in- intelligence, I'm not sure. It's, it's a huge challenge. So artificial intelligence really um, allows us to do things things better. But if I think of that going back into your home, and I think of individuals having uh, a, an EV car, that EV car can be charged at the most optimal time. This is Steve Rigby, the General Manager of Generation and Development at Origin. Steve says that AI could be a big win for consumers. So I think a lot of uh, artificial intelligence and a lot of uh, modelling and mapping uh, is probably going to, to win the game for the consumer. If and, and an example of that is if I've, if I've got solar panels in my house during the day and I'm not using all of that energy, then it should be used to charge a storage device, i.e. a battery, for me to use when the sun is not shining. But you then take that to a position where you connect your car and you want your car to be charging at the optimum price, which is potentially potentially during the evening. But who knows, you may actually use your car to uh, charge some of the devices at your home. So I think it's important that the customers can be conscious of of their usage to, to make them aware what could be problems or what could be things that they might change but on the other hand i would really like to have algorithms that use that data so that customers don't have to worry so much about it so yes so i think that having the data is important getting some awareness from the customers is good as well but i would really hope that we can develop algorithms that do the work for us so that the customers don't have to worry so much about it. AI offers huge opportunities for customers to learn more about their own energy consumption. And when you combine smart home appliances with Spike, Origin's rewards program that turns energy saving into a game, customers can automatically save power whenever a Spike hour happens. I've already started switching things off, Dom, but are you telling me that this could happen all without flicking a switch? 
Exactly. It's just like those automatic robot vacuum cleaners that clean the house without you even needing to think about it. It's a massive win for laziness. And Zach, if you know anything about me, it's that I'm a huge advocate for laziness. Aren't you the president of the Laziness Club? Well, actually, I was going to run for that, but I uh, couldn't be bothered in the end. Uh, anyway, do you remember Alan Leenartz from our last episode? How could I forget our DIY hero? Well, he's part of Loop, Origin's virtual power plant. And it turns out that the team at Origin have developed their own AI algorithms to help orchestrate energy supply and demand. The AI for Loop helps determine the best times to charge and discharge home batteries, as well as remotely charging customers' hot water systems, all in a way that best supports the energy grid, while maximising value and comfort for customers. For Alan, he says it's like magic. Okay, so this is the VPP, obviously. Um, batteries. Um, and one magic box controls the PV on the roof, and one magic box controls the battery. And... Um, and the wires connect to the interweb and it all happens automatically in the background. The other advantage of AI is that it can help deal with some of the individuality that we need in the network. Because each of us is different and we all use energy in unique ways. Like you with your Christmas lights. Oh, look, you can mock it all you want, Zach, but I'll have you know, my festive display is the envy of the neighbourhood. I'm not mocking it, I'm just pointing it out. You stood outside my house last year and booed. No, that wasn't me. It looked a lot like you. No, well, I can't comment on that legally at the moment. Let's jump back to Gregor. So you need to be able to predict the demand. You need to be able to predict um, rooftop solar generation. And that's difficult, right? If you look at the energy consumption of an individual customer, it varies a lot. Like, just think of how you, how you use your energy. So, for example, I don't know, if you get home a bit late, uh, a bit later than usual, then all the energy usage pattern might look completely different from your usual day. Um, still, those optimization-based approaches use, so require that information to be able to make optimal decisions. Um, now, instead, in absence of that information or in absence of perfect knowledge of all that, that information that is required, um, you could use artificial intelligence. In the future, um, AI will be in in the home, probably in many places, controlling different things. Yeah, it could easily control when your car gets charged or, or yeah, when certain appliances run. So um, I, I think the idea is that be, because with, with the renewable energies, we cannot control anymore exactly how much is produced when, the demand needs to be more flexible. And one way to make the demand more flexible without, for example, without us having to switch on the, the washing machine at 3 a.m. because that's just when, when it makes the most sense from the perspective of the grid. So one way to achieve this demand flexibility without us actually um, having to worry too much is by AI so that we basically just tell the algorithm, I need the car tomorrow to go to work or I need the washing machine to have finished tomorrow morning, and then it's really up to the algorithms to decide when exactly to consume that energy. So if we want to truly take advantage of the opportunities ahead of us, if we want to use AI to manage our grid and provide the flexibility we need for this renewable energy revolution, we need to not only know what we need to use right now, but we need to forecast what's going to happen in the future. I'm forecasting you're going to play a grab from Christoph, our energy weatherman. Well, not bad forecasting, but I was actually going to belt out some of my favourite karaoke. Life is a highway. 
every single time you know it. But uh, playing a grab from Christoph does seem like a much more relevant thing to do, doesn't it? So let's do that. So we produce renewable energy where we cannot really control um, the production schedule. And then we also have the demand side of things where we also cannot really control how people use the energy. And so if uh, that's why we need to forecast these two quantities. So, for example, if we know how much energy we are going to need in five minutes time, ten minutes time, and we know how much we are going to produce from renewable energies in five minutes time, ten minutes time, uh, that gives us time to, to make certain decisions about ramping up some other power plants or um, doing other things but then obviously there are other decisions of half a year out all the way to 20 years out like uh, how much energy are we going to need uh, in 20 years and and based on that we need to make decisions on where to put new power plants and things like that energy is currently used when it's created but in the future this has to change and that's where batteries come in double A's, triple A's, and even batteries for your home. It turns out batteries are vital for the energy grid of the future. So in the next episode, we're going to find out how old technology could be the key to unlocking our renewable future. So that crackling is, is and that, that noise that you're hearing is, is called corona. And it's just the energy flowing over the lines and, and the moisture in the air, and um, so the electricity on the lines. So What is the show that questions everything you thought you knew about energy, and it's brought to you by Origin. Production and scripting by the team at Lawson Media. If you're keen to know more about how you can automatically save energy using Spike, we'll put a link in the episode show notes. And if you're keen to watch Flubber, I'm happy to lend out my VHS copy. That's it, Tom. I warned you, I'm out every day with you. Flubber this, Flubber that. I can't do it anymore. I'm starting to think that that Flubber t-shirt I got sacked for Christmas might have been a mistake. Anyway, I'll make sure he comes back in time for the next episode. For now, though, you can learn more about the podcast and listen to other episodes at originenergy.com.au forward slash so what. Or just hit subscribe in the podcast app you're in right now. This series is hosted by me, Dom Fay, and hopefully still Zach Mander too. We can't wait to speak with you next time.